when they do the change, I want them to really believe in it. And even though like my livery art is a business and I should, you know, want everyone to come on board their horses with us, I still, whenever someone wants to move their horse to us, I give them all the, like, I don't give them the positives. I give them the negatives, like the things that can go wrong. Because the positive, they can see when they come. They can see on social media. But the tiny bits that can go wrong, like if you take the shoes off, your horse might be lame for a bit or takes time to transition. Like, I want them to believe in it. I don't want them to do it because everyone is doing it or to do it because I'm doing it. Welcome to the Mindset Podcast for guardians of dogs who are just a little rough around the edges. I'm your host, Kaisa van Overbeek, a life coach dedicated to making life with your challenging dog feel less challenging, both by sharing stories of other people's similar experiences and by showing you how you can harness the power of your brain to make it work for you instead of against you. Welcome everyone to another interview episode of Rough Around the Edges. And today we're not really going to be talking about dogs. And that's because I felt like talking to someone in the horse world. And I can do that because it's my podcast. So there you have it. I hope you're going to enjoy it because the reason I asked Jumi, who I am going to be talking to on the podcast is because she had so many cool things to say on her social media about horse-free horse training. And I saw so many parallels um, with our dog training that I was like, this is just interesting. This is stuff that we're doing with our dogs, but it also like works for the horses and like some of the struggles are the same. Um, I just, I just want to talk to her. So that's why I asked her if she would come on and luckily, 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 um, she said, yes. Now I know absolutely zero about horses. Like I once put uh, a social media post out and I said something along the lines of like, I wonder what the gender inclusive word is for horse humans or horse people. And Jumi replied like, that would be equestrians. And I was like, goes to show you how little I know. So if you are a dog person who also loves horses and you're listening to this, become a little cringe worthy when you hear me ask certain questions, but you're just going to have to, you know, deal with it. Um, so where is Jumi located? Um, she's in the United Arab Emirates in a small town whose name I'm going to butcher probably, or maybe it's not even small town. I'm going to ask her about that. Uh, Umal Koin, um, which is about 30 minutes out from Dubai. I have been told, um, but I'm going to let her talk a lot more about that because like I said, I'm probably going to butcher enough in this episode. So better to let someone do the talking who actually knows about it. So um, Jumi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. As always, let me turn the mic over to you and um, like ask you to introduce yourself. Who are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I've been listening to your podcast and there is definitely so many similarities between um, training dogs with positive reinforcement as well as horses although they are completely different species uh, but they do have uh, 
a lot of the same struggles and stuff. So uh, I've been riding and in the industry for over 13 years. And I started incorporating positive reinforcement in my training for, I'd say, about eight years. Um, and then I think I've only focused so much on it, on not just my own horses, but also clients' horses. Um, in the last three years, um, when I opened my own uh, stables, my own livery yard. Um, yeah. Cool. So first question already, um, you said I started incorporating positive reinforcement training, well, quite a couple of years ago already. Is that something that's normal? Because what I, what I know about horses, okay, start cringing people, is, you know, that, for example, in the old days, or maybe still in a lot of cases, I don't know, uh, the horses had Okay, in Dutch, it's called a bit. I don't know what it's called in English. It's the, the metal piece in their mouth. And, and well, it's I guess you use negative reinforcement in the sense that, you know, you pull on the thing, it's an uncomfortable feeling in the mouth. And when they turn in the right direction, the uncomfortable feeling or, you know, like you diminish pressure. And then in the sense, they get rewarded because the nasty feeling goes away. And what I understood is that now there's a lot of like, bitless riding and things like that is that the go-to thing is that normal nowadays uh, how did that work for you is like is that how it works tell me <laughs> okay so yes uh bitless riding is uh luckily growing more and more now uh although seeing a bitless horse because you see a lot of people now also riding their horses completely tactless like nothing um maybe a rope around their neck but uh tactless does not always mean positive or like a strong bond or something because one thing i always keep telling people is you can get the exact same result of a behavior whether it's taught using negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement. So one of the very first things I taught when I was just still inc incorporating uh, positive reinforcement, because at the beginning I was still using uh, negative reinforcement and then I would just add a reward at the end, so like a cherry on top kind of situation. So I would like squeeze my horse to go forward. He's getting away from the pressure of my legs, but then I reward him like, yes, this is what I asked you to do. Uh, however, now I would teach this from the ground with a target and a voice command. And then there is no pressure he's getting away from. And then when I'm on the horse, I transition it into saddle. So then when he hears this voice command, it can mean the same thing. And then I can also add to that and make it, especially if it's a client's horse and they don't really want to always ride with voice commands, I can transition the voice command to a leg cue. But this time the horse will be moving because it's a cue and not getting away from the pressure because this pressure will never be an escalating pressure. It's just like uh, a cue, like I tell you this, this is what it means, moves forward. So one of the very first thing, uh, like big things I've taught my horse using positive reinforcement, I taught my horse to ride with a neck rope. And there are so many people that do it. But the reason I went about it in a positive reinforcement way, because I had 
uh, a trainer that actually inspired me to do it. But then when I saw how he did it, he had this um, harsh hackamore. So I'll explain what a hackamore yes, is. Please. <laughs> uh, yes. So a hackamore is not necessarily a bit. It can just be uh, like, so we call them shanks. It's like a metal piece with like a long a uh, shank or a metal bar coming out of it and there are different types of hackamores but this one was very harsh it has chains and it was really heavy uh, so basically when you pull it even the slightest pull has so much pressure on the horse's face so uh, this trainer puts the hackamore on he pulls the neck rope for a stop and then he yanks the hackamore and the horse rears up from the amount of pressure and I was like, the end result seemed so smooth and like, you'll, you'll think, oh, what an amazing bond they have, like riding without a bridle. But the horse is only doing it because he learned that this pull on the neck rope is followed by that painful experience. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm determined to teach it using voice commands and stuff. And I ended up competing with this horse. Well, it's not allowed to compete uh, bridalist. So I did training shows. Um, so it's not nationals or any bigger level competitions. But although I've competed in national and international shows and championships, this felt like the biggest achievement I've ever had, even though it was like a chill, tiny jumps training show. But I know that if my horse wanted to take off, he could because there was no... Um, abuse or any negative association behind it it was just voice command so if he felt like you know what I don't feel like doing it he can easily you know like not listen to yeah. me but yeah so when you say that it's not allowed to compete bridleless does yeah. that what does that mean actually okay. does that so, mean that positive reinforcement isn't can you do with can you have a bridle and work with positive reinforcement yes yes of course okay but I was just going to uh because you said uh you asked about bitless and I just wanted to say that bitless doesn't always equals positive reinforcement or positive training because even a bitless bridle can put so much pressure and um they can be so harsh in the wrong hands because it puts pressure on the horse's nose, which is like there's no muscle in between the skin and the nose. Um, there are different bitless bridles, but most of them have this nose pressure. Um, but yeah, like if you use it in a wrong way, you can equally, like you can use a bit and be gentle with your horse and you can use a bitless and be harsh with your horse. That's what I was getting at. And when I said bridleless, it's without anything on the horse's head. It's just a rope on its neck. Okay. So this is I'm, what I'm back. I'm can't, back. I'm getting it. I you can't. Yeah, you can't <laughs> compete that way because, well, they think you know safety and it's just something uh, not usual. So they don't like something that's not usual. However, uh, bitless is allowed in show jumping, uh, but dressage isn't. So you can do training shows and like smaller competitions in uh, a bitless bridle, but in higher levels or national shows, uh, you have to have a bit. Do you think that is going to change at some point? 
I really hope there are uh, like people around the world are talking about it and stuff because what also hurts me so much is with dressage at uh, like the bigger levels you even have to have like a double bridle which is like stronger and then you have to have spurs do you know what a spur is I imagine those are the pointy things at the back of the boots yes yes so imagine like if someone really wanted to compete and wanted like they love the sport and they wanted to do it they'll be sort of forced to go through that path I if am I'm making so, any sense yeah, like no I, I'm like just... if I if I wanted to ride my horse bitless and no spurs and nothing, but I also really wanted to compete, I'm forced to put these things to compete. Now, there are people who are like, you know, I'm never going to put a bit back in my horse's mouth. I'm never going to use spurs. I'm not going to compete. I'll do the small shows for fun. And I'm not going to take the sport seriously and compete actively. Um, but some people, they prioritize the sport but even if they wanted to do better by their horse, they can't. Like, they can't balance it. I'm thinking how, what would be needed to change that? I mean, I'm guessing there's more and more voices calling for change. There definitely are. I'm not uh, into dressage so much. I was. I used to be a show jumper, like, when I was competing and stuff. So I'm lucky that Bitless was allowed. <laughs> Yeah. And like spurs is not something that's all oh, you have to do it. Although so many people use it. So how did you, if if you come from a show jumping background, like how is this transition to using positive reinforcement in horse so training? I, yeah, I, when I used to compete, I've always done it for fun. I knew my horse enjoyed jumping and I would just do it for fun. There was also uh one season that I stopped competing uh because I felt that my horse was not enjoying it anymore and I know the reason behind that it was because it got to my head like at some point I wasn't in it for just fun I was in it like I want to place and I want to win and stuff like that and this is when my horse started stopping at jumps and then I just took a step back and I was like, you know what? Um, he loves jumping. I'm not going to ruin it for him. If he says no, then I'll give him a break from me. <laughs> and just, yeah, because I was like, my expectations were different going into those last few competitions. And then I was like, you know what? The, I'll take a step back and then there's always next season that I can join. And I did that. So I took uh, a year break from the show jumping season. And then after that break, was that then when you started to incorporate different training methods or was like... No, so at that time, so in the winter months is our uh, show jumping season. And then in the summer, we have training shows. So at the same time around that period I was doing uh, neck rope jumping in the training shows and then in the season I have to put a bridle on uh, but that was the time where I of course there is no such thing as fully positive reinforcement or purely positive reinforcement but that was at the time where I was 
using it alongside my usual training. Did you have somebody to to teach you that? How does how does such a transition work? Because just to give you an idea, in in the dog world, not everyone, but a lot of the people that I've talked to, especially also on this podcast, they were like working with their dogs. And their dog had some kind of behavior issue that they didn't seem to fix. You know, like they tried listening to trainer A, trainer B, they tried all kinds of stuff and nothing was working. And then at one point they usually end up, you know, like I always say going down the dog training rabbit hole, reading up on everything there is. And a lot of them then end up in, in the force free training world, so to say, and then try out this positive reinforcement training and see that you know, slow but steady wins the race and they try that on their um, their dogs. And I'm just curious as to whether that was the case for you with your horse or whether there was then like a, a different road to it. Like was the stopping at the show jumps where you started thinking, oh, I have to change my training or was there a different trigger? Was it a gradual process? How did that work? Yeah. So I... I like to say that I'm very lucky that I came to positive reinforcement, not through this, um, you know, my horse has a behavioral problem and I've tried everything and nothing worked. So let me explore positive reinforcement. This, I think if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'm glad that I experiment. I had the time to experiment and look into it and learn without having any issues with my horses. Because at the time, I wasn't facing any issues. It was fine. I just wanted to look for an alternative way of training. I used to love, you know, watching videos, reading books and stuff. And I came across natural horsemanship, which most people who want to look to like into alternative uh, training approaches, they go towards the natural horsemanship path. And I went there and I started researching and stuff. And there was this one book that I started reading and I got to like page three or four and I was like, mm, nope, that's not for me. And this is where I leaned more towards force-free and positive reinforcement and stuff. And then I started using it like step by step and not like overwhelming myself with it. And I started like around the same time I was looking into different uh, approaches or methods. I was trick training my horse. So, you know, the fun, usual tricks, like every horse owner has been there at some point, like, oh, smile and give a treat or uh, give me a kiss and then give them a treat. And then I wanted to like go to bigger tricks because I was looking at, you know, trick training. And I thought I want to teach my horse to rear. I want to teach my horse to lay down and do fun stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to do this to my show jumper that I'm sharing with my sister and go to competitions with. I want a horse to just focus this on. So I started looking for miniature horses, uh, like something I can have at home. And I got my first miniature horse, Tango, and he just blew me away. Uh, out of all the horses I've worked with, um, big horses, small horses, 
miniatures are just so smart. Uh, like they learn so quickly. And I got to a point where I was teaching him uh, how to paint and then how to pick up a ring and put it on a coin and wait, like wait, stack wait, wait, the wait, wait, rings. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> stop right there. Okay, so when you say, I mean, I know there's dogs that, I've not taught my dog that, but I know there's dogs they teach how to paint and then, you know, they, they put a paintbrush or like they pick up a paintbrush yeah. in their mouth and then they dip it in something and then they just touch it to yeah. a canvas. Is Am I, yeah. consider, is this the same thing? Like the horse? Yeah, just- same thing. So I, I dip the brush in the paint, but I give him the brush and he starts waving his head on the canvas, right, left, up and down and not dropping the brush and stuff. And I did that with like super tiny steps. Like I taught him how to carry things in his mouth, how to, I built duration on how long you carry it. And then on the side, I was teaching him how to say yes and no. So I have a cue for yes and then no. So he shakes his head up and down or right or left. So I combined these two and then, yeah. And then uh, he's painting. But then, yeah. <laughs> And then with the cone, put it, like with the rings, putting them in a cone, you know, the kids' toys with the rings yeah. that you stack them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, if I can do this with a horse using positive reinforcement, why can't I like teach them how to be ridden and like jump and do anything really? Because it's possible. Um, and yeah, at the same time, I was getting like a miniature horse every year. <laughs> I ended up with five now but yeah I've been like they taught me a lot and then I've worked with my own horses I started working with friends horses and then I noticed that I'm going more towards the behaviorist route I am currently working on getting certified as a behavior consultant uh but this is the work I do like the horses I get as clients are usually um, horses with behavioral issues and stuff and these are the horses that end up with me because positive reinforcement is not as known here as I would like it to be it's um, it's usually always the last resort the majority of the time um, like you rarely find someone who's doing everything fine with their horse. They're happy with their horse. And then they'd be like, oh, why don't I try positive reinforcement? They'd be like, you know, what's the point? But then if they're facing an issue or a behavioral problem, this is when they usually resort to that. And the thing you were saying where uh, people would, like in the dog world, where they mm-hmm. would enter positive reinforcement and guilt themselves and stuff this is something I see with my clients a lot and this is why I say I'm lucky because I didn't have like I wish I had a trainer I wish I was looking for trainers with positive reinforcement and this is where I realized there was none here so I was like okay I'll be the first positive reinforcement trainer here because it needs to happen um but there was pros and cons like I think I would have learned way faster if I had someone guiding me and all that but also, I think I would have fallen into the, the guilt trap loop. Yes, of you know wanting to go all in and trying everything. But because I didn't have that, and I was like reading a bit here, learning a little bit here from this video, this uh, book, and stuff, I started uh, developing my own method using positive reinforcement, and it got me here. And 
in the last few years, social media has been amazing. I've met amazing people, uh, like positive reinforcement horse trainers and stuff. And everyone's just so supportive. I noticed a pattern of when you start uh, using positive reinforcements with animals, you also use it with people <laughs> unintentionally. So everyone's been so nice and supportive. And then uh, there's this one uh, trainer on social media. Her name is Adele. I used to always go to her, although she had uh, courses and stuff, which I never took. I recently did. But before, even though I haven't booked any consultation with her or um, took any of her courses whenever I'm stuck with like a client or something I feel like oh my god am I doing anything wrong I would always go message her and she'll be supportive and you know reassure me that I'm like on the right track and doing well and this uh, really helps because it can get super lonely being uh, the odd one (laughs) I because I remember asking you on on social media when we messaged um because uh, I think Amy a dog trainer in in the UAE she I think she pointed you to my podcasters I don't I don't even know how we got to talking yeah. on social media but we were talking and I was I was asking about positive reinforcement in the horse training world and uh like like how many positive reinforcement trainers there were in the emirates and you were kind of like well i'm it you know like, like this this is it like i am it and i was like oh okay you're not kidding okay that that's a thing um i wish it wasn't the case i really hope i will soon be able to not say i'm the only one i'll be soon able to say i'm the first one and there'll be way more many to come hopefully <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm hoping too. Although, I, I mean, I don't know how that is. I remember, I remember how I came across your podcast. It was the same time I posted a post of uh, like dedicated to trainers and how they approach people to change stuff and uh, like, you know, not guilt them into like, oh, you're abusing your horse or you either do it this way or it's wrong. Uh, more like gradually introducing it to people and then Amy sent me um, an episode on your podcast and she was like they're taking talking about the exact same thing but in the dog world like and I was like okay I'll go and listen and this is how yeah now I remember but I do think it's funny that you're saying that it's um, so positive so in general I have to say this has been my experience as well that the in in the dogs like the positive reinforcement community is very supportive but i've also heard of people and i don't know how that is with you guys um where there's a lot of they're not so supportive of the people that's outside the positive reinforcement Mm. community yes there and then there's a lot of pointing fingers and i i'm I'm, you know i'm still trying to figure it out so i actually there's a podcast episode that's going to come out before um this one where we've been talking about um uh, about positive punishment yeah and not as as something that uh like that it's something that we want to do um but about how a lot of trainers who are even just you know like maybe mentioning a tiny little thing that could be considered positive punishment are almost kind of vilified 
uh, rather yeah. than taking a look at them and then seeing what are they doing? Is there something I can learn from them? Or maybe even saying, why am I so triggered by this? And then figuring out what's going on there for you, if there's something you can learn from it. So I, I guess, I don't even know where I'm trying to go with this, but I think we were trying to figure out where, to, where you know, how to be, well, I guess how to be reinforcing to others. I, I can to... give you an example. Oh, of please, because I'm tying, to... I'm tying myself up, but like, I don't even know it's where not, I'm going to go. <laughs> it's not related to specifically training, but also to the whole bitless situation. So the livery yard I opened is uh, a track system, Paddock Paradise, for non-horsey people. It's um, a method of turnout that's enriching for the horse. So instead of keeping your horse, uh, your dog in a crate when you leave, you might, you know, give them an enrichment activity. It's the same thing. So they're not staying in the stable. They're out exploring, grazing and all that. Uh, so when I moved, there was uh, one person, she was, uh, she's a body worker. Uh, she introduced horses being barefoot to me. I had a barefoot horse at the time, but she wasn't doing much work. And my show jumper had shoes on. And I asked her where she had her horse. And she told me they're stable. They're all barefoot and bitless and stuff. And I was like, yeah, but I compete. And she was like, yeah, we compete too. And I was like, okay. And the way she told me about it did not make me defensive. And as soon as she left, I started doing my research. In less than a month or two, we changed our horse's diet. We took the shoes off. He was barefoot, more turnout time. And I think it was less than a year where I started building my place. Wow. It was just because of the approach that she took. Because I know of so many more people that if they... Uh, if they were the ones that introduced uh, whether it's barefoot or the track system or bitless, I think I would be defensive. Like it would have just put this wall up and I'd be like, no, I know I'm doing well by my horse. So when she said that barefoot, or bit, she didn't make me feel that I'm abusing my horse. She didn't make me feel that because I know I did these things and I genuinely loved my horse. And so many people have like, so many people use spurs and whips and they genuinely love their horses so yeah. I always like when I go to a client or um, I recently started training outside of my stable so I would go to Dubai I would go to different places to work with other clients and most of them have bits most of them use whips or spurs or whatever I like to like if I want to change that I want them to see it for themselves because if they changed it just being influenced by me, tomorrow they're going to be influenced by someone else and they'll go back to it. When yeah. they do the change, I want them to really believe in it. And even though like my livery yard is a business and I should, you know, want everyone to come on board their horses with us, I still, whenever someone wants to move their horse to us, I give them all the like, I don't give them the positives. I give them the negatives, like the things that can go wrong. Because the positive, they can see when they come. They can see on social media. But the tiny bits that can go wrong, like if you take the shoes off, your horse might be lame for a bit or takes time to transition. Like, I want them to believe in it. I don't want them to do it because everyone is doing it or to do it because I'm doing it. 
like I appreciate and I'm flattered if I'm like an example for someone, but I want them, I want it to be their idea. What do you think is key to, to that? Accepting what they're doing, even if you don't really accept it. Like being compassionate and working at one thing at a time. Like if I go to work with a horse, I'm a person that would not tolerate spurs, no matter what. And I, as much as I don't like whips, I don't mind someone using a whip, but not a spur. And the reason being, in my point of view, you will not, by mistake, put your hand up and whip the horse by mistake. <laughs> like If you decide to use it, it's going to be, you decided to use it. It was intentional. But with spurs, if you watch, like I always tell people, go watch your role model. Like if it's someone in the Olympics, if it's watch anyone that you look up to and watch pictures of them or a slow motion video. No one ever have their legs stable, fixed in place if they're jumping or uh, like their horse spooks or mm-hmm. their horse trips. Like, yes, you can have it stable when you're riding and jumping and doing stuff, but things can happen. Like if my horse spooked at something and then I lost balance or if my horse had an amazing jump, he over jumped the jump, I got jumped off. Why am I punishing the horse with my spurs? Because my leg is going to go backwards or I'm going to grip to not fall off or something's going to happen there. And even with the professionals, if you watch videos in slow motion or if you watch pictures you will see at least one or two pictures in the entire like um when they're doing Mm -hmm. like a course of show jumping you will see one that the spur is really digging in for no reason like you're not they don't mean to use it but it just happens and to me like this is one thing if i'm working with your horse like if you're on your own be my guest, do whatever you want. But if you want me to ride your horse or work with your horse, I'm not using spurs. And if a horse is not moving without spurs, then this tells me there is an issue. There's either pain or like something. You have to look at the behavior and not just, you know, add more stuff. Do you feel that that approach where you're saying, okay, you know, this is me. This is how I operate. You do you. Does that then help them um, gradually also sort of phase out spurs and things? So what I meant was um, the only thing I'm fully against and like black and white is spurs. Like I just can't deal with personal with me. I can't deal with spurs. But then everything else I can, like it can be in the gray area and There's no really black and white. For example, if I go to a client that wants to work with their horse on different things, but they have a bit on, I won't be uh, asking them, like, you either remove the bit or I can't work with you or, like, the bit is harsh and you're abusing your horse and do you know how much harm it can do to your horse? I'm not going to go through all that. Bit, fine. But then what I'm going to do is we're going to start normally from groundwork and then while we're doing groundwork if I teach the horse how to walk stop reverse trot canter whatever using only voice commands you think the owner would not use those voice commands riding 
And then if they're confident enough that their horse stops using voice command, why do they need the bit for? Like if the horse is listening to everything, listening to their body, listening to these commands, it will then be their idea to go bitless. I don't like to um, force my beliefs on them, but with spurs, I just, I can't see it and I can't use it. Like if I'm riding their horse, I just can't use spurs. Like if you're confident using spurs, I'm not confident using spurs. This would be the shock uh, collar in the dog world. Like the, I think yeah. that's where 90% of the trainers are like hard. No, that's I'm not working with your dog. If you're coming yeah. in with that, luckily it's actually, it's illegal in like where I live now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I try to show them what's possible and leave the rest up to them. Yeah. Like show them, don't tell people- them. <laughs> Yes. So we have people moving to our yard and they have uh, bits on. And I never even bring up the topic of, oh, do you want to try bitless? Or do you know how much harm the bit is doing to your horse or something? I don't say that. They just see everyone else around them riding bitless. And they're like, oh, I want to try, like just for fun. And then they see that there's not a big difference. And if I have a client that I think... Uh, the bit is causing issues in the horse's behavior or whatever, I would recommend they see a bit fitter. So a bit fitter would come assess the horse's mouth, assess uh, where the issue is and give you a bit that's better suited to your horse's mouth or the situation you're dealing with. So at least like the horse would be comfortable. It's the same thing as saddle fitting. So not every saddle fits every horse. You need to get a fitter to fix it. And so many behavioral issues, they come from a wrong saddle fit because it can be painful. Is there the same? I'm sorry, it's all new stuff to you. I'm, 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 I'm loving it. And there's so many parallels. Okay, several questions. First things first. Um, in the dog world, we're seeing a shift where... Um, we're not so much seeing the dog as I want to say a property maybe, or a thing that needs to do uh, what we're telling it to do. We are way more taking into account the dog's um, mental and overall well-being. It's like, okay, yeah, we're not there yet. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. It, you know I mean, what? We're not there yet in the dog world, right? I mean, it's yeah. shifting and a lot of people are adopting that and are looking at, um, you know, like, what does the dog need? What do I need? And how can we bring those two together? How does, yeah, you say we're not there yet. I have, how does I have an horses? example. I have an example that would resonate with your audience if they're like dog people and it would also resonate with horse people. So if you put a video side by side, okay, of a dog and a horse and you and someone is kicking them lightly. I'm not saying abusive kicks, just a tiny little kick, okay? Both people, dog people and horse people will be mad about the dog video, but no one will care about the horse video because that's so normalized. This is where we're at. You want a horse to move, you kick the horse, the horse moves. You want the horse to stop, you pull on the reins and they stop. Like, this is how you teach beginners to ride. I'm silent. I'm, 
On the so, other but hand, you get the idea of the video, yeah. right? Like, even if you saw it, like, you're into positive reinforcement, anything. If before this conversation, you saw someone kicking a horse just lightly, no big deal, and then kicking a dog, same pressure. You're going to be mad about the dog more than the horse. You wouldn't even think twice about the horse. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure there, but I always... Because that's what we see in any video. Yeah. But like one of my friends is a horse person, I want to say, an equestrian. Um, and we talk about that. And and she's uh, ta- told me a little bit about, you know, like what how she goes riding and how there's also the different characters and the horses and things. And in my mind, for some of the things that I hear about the horse world, I'm like, that just doesn't sound right or it doesn't feel right. But I guess I don't know how things are done yeah. with horses. I'm the outsider and I, I probably know nothing. But when I think back, this was the exact same thought that I had about dogs. And that changed, you know, so I'm starting to think like, am I that wrong now? Is like when yeah. I cringe when something is done to a horse, is that because I don't know enough about horses or is that just because I care about animals and I just have this gut feeling that this isn't how it's supposed to be so and then most people they they're just taught this way and it's so normalized that they don't it doesn't cross their mind and this is why if you go up to them and be like oh you're doing this to your horse or you're kicking with spurs or something they're gonna get defensive because they genuinely love their horses and they don't want to believe that what they're doing is actually harmful to the horse. So they're not open to accepting it. And depending on how you approach them and saying these things, most of the time they will be defensive and like shut down and not going to listen to anything else coming from your mouth. <laughs> yeah, because it feels like you're being attacked personally. And of course you go on the yeah. defense then. Yeah, because, you know, it's normal to show your horse who's boss and you're the leader and they have to listen to you. Another question. What would you say, because I'm seeing a lot of similarities, are there dissimilarities or what is different about training a horse? Horse-free, positive reinforcement, I just, uh, whatever term we want to use. And for example, a dog. Okay. So to start with, I think, of course, it depends on the horse and their personality and their background, where came, they came from, their experience and all that. But it's definitely faster to teach a dog than a horse. Uh, and then even with uh, the techniques and stuff. So horses are prey animals. And in the wild, they would uh, walk a few steps, graze, walk one more step, graze. So they're getting the reinforcement quicker than a dog would if he was in the wild or stray or whatever. Uh, Like if a dog would chase a prey and then catch it and then get the reward or if they would, you know, uh, look in a trash can or search for food and then they find leftovers or whatever. It takes some time for them to get the reinforcement. While with horses, it's... um, Like, if you keep it for too long, it can cause frustration in them. And then it quickly turns into negative punishment because you're withholding the food from them. So we always start with um, 
a high rate of reinforcer and um, we reward the behavior a lot at the beginning and then we build on duration. But it's not like, so for example, I'm not an experienced positive reinforcement dog trainer, but I would teach my dog to sit and wait and I would go away and then reward. And my dog is going to wait for a bit before they decide they'll move. While with a horse, it can be as easy as uh, stay and then just weight shift with my body and reward and like a bigger weight shift before I even take a first step back. Got it. I hope this example makes sense. <laughs> this whole idea of a uh, a horse is a prey animal. So I'm guessing that also means that, you know, where where a lot of people deal with the reactive dogs, which means that they're showing a type of uh, yeah, yeah. aggression. It's not, uh, maybe aggression is not the right word, right? But they take the, the fight response to fear. I'm guessing that a horse would be yeah. more inclined to take the flight. Yes, response. so they would uh, take the flight most of the time. They need to get away from danger or whatever unless they're, they get to a point where they fight. So I have, for example, one of my client's horses. Uh, she would be constantly in her fight mode when she's in the stable because she has nowhere else to go. So if you approach her outside, she can avoid you, she can walk away. But in the stable, because she's confined, flight is not an option. So flight is, uh, sorry, flight is not an option. So flight fight is, is what she resorts to. And so many horses would, uh, actually in the horse world, we use flight to our advantage. Like um, when you kick a horse and the horse getting away from the pressure, this is what we want. We want them to, mm-hmm. you know, walk forward and stuff. And then, when they start fighting, this is where we're like, oh, something's off, behavioral issue. <laughs> we need someone to fix it. But they get to that <laughs> point where like, how long am I going to run away from this? And depending on the horse, some horses just shut down and learn, uh, like learned helplessness mm-hmm. and just listen. And they're usually referred to as bomb proof and like you can put a child on this horse, no problem. But then there are horses like my mare who wouldn't take any, you know, uh, like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know what I'm allowed to say here. Anyway, so uh, yeah, if she doesn't want something, she'll be loud and clear. And this is why she didn't work as a school horse and ended up with me. Because luckily she's not having it. Yeah. These are the smart ones, actually. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, it kind of hurts to hear a shutdown horse be described as bomb-proof. I, I think yeah. that the same happens to dogs. People will be like, oh, look at this dog, behave admirably. And I'm thinking, this dog is completely shut down. This dog isn't behaving. Yeah. This dog is just so uh, so far gone, so far out of its comfort zone that it's just not doing anything anymore. And that, to me, is not... Animal you know what hurts me the most is like this is a very controversial topic in the horse world uh, and this is based on my experience and my point of view and what I've seen I'm not saying everyone is included in this but 
most people who want to look for an alternative way to traditional training and want to do better by their horses, like me, they resort to natural horsemanship. And natural horsemanship and the dog world would be the leader of the pack and the dominance theories. And, you know, they have to respect you because you're the leader. It sounded very good, natural horsemanship. It didn't sound yes, like yes, yes, yes. This is why, like now, when I see someone with the word horsemanship, just without even natural, it just triggers me because the word is so nice, but they ruined it. <laughs> because and the issue is, and this is why it hurts me, because people who switch are the ones who really want to change and do better by their horses. But because it's very appealing, like if you watch any video of like a natural horsemanship trainer, there are many methods that falls under natural horsemanship, but I'm just speaking in general. So most people that would watch these videos or watch clinics or stuff, they would see that, oh my God, they word it so nice, like the way they put it into words and they go about it, like, look, the horse is free. I'm, I don't have any uh, tack on them or anything. I'm not hitting them. I'm just moving their legs uh, and then keep them going. And then suddenly the trainer would stop and, you know, see the horse is following me. Like he has a choice. Um, like he could stay away if he wants to, but he decided to follow me. But this is because... It's also like with traditional horse training, they do combine negative reinforcement and uh, positive punishment. And the same thing happens with natural horsemanship, except it's not physical, it's mental. And it's like, I'm going to keep you moving until you look my way and then I'm going to release the pressure. So the horse learns that the best place to be is with the, with the person. Otherwise, I'm going to be chased around or told to get my feet moving and stuff like that and this is usually done in a closed space like a round pen or something that's why it's not an option (laughs) yeah like they're (laughs) trying their flight but it's not working and then they just shut down and I say this from my experience and my point of view is because I've had clients with like traditional training and not just ethical traditional training I've had horses that are abused and have like whip marks or spurs marks and stuff and they are easier to retrain and reprogram their brain than a horse that has a history of natural horsemanship these are the horses again from my experience that would come to me completely shut down to the normal eye they would look like bomb proof and you know easy going and stuff but they're the ones that are broken inside. It's It just hurts me so much. And what hurts even more is I know for a fact that their owners really mean well and they honestly want to do what's best for their horses. But because this is so appealing and it looks from the outside that it's nice. Like if I like if you have no experience with horses and I tell you watch one video of any natural horsemanship method or like training or whatever if you watch this video you will love it at the beginning if you didn't listen to what I said Mm -hmm. but then if you watch a video explaining a horse body language or discomfort or calming signals and stuff and then go back watch the same video 
you will notice the horse is giving so many signals of discomfort, of fear, of stuff, but they're just suppressing it. And then they just shut down. I always say it's just like being in a toxic relationship or like um, someone that's mentally abusing you. They're not hitting you. They're not doing anything physically. But you're just lighting because yes, yes. So mentally, it's yeah. And I, I don't know. I feel that from working with these type of horses, the ones that were physically abused are way easier to get over their trauma than the ones that were uh, mentally abused. What about the owners of these horses once they find out, you know, since we were talking about guilt, I guess at one point they learn how to see all those calming signals, the body language, and they realize I've been doing this to my horse. Or, you know, I've let other people do this to my horse. How so do they get I over wish, that? I wish that was the case. See, the issue here is people who use this method, they don't need me because their horse is shut down. They don't have behavioral issues because they're suppressing, even if they're in pain, they won't show you that they're in pain. The reason I say I have experience with these horses are either from... Uh, my clients who bought horses that were treated this way or I work with a horse and I ask the owner was because from working with a horse I can tell this was the method used or the approach that was used and if I ask them they confirm it like did someone teach them like oh keep your hind away from me at all times and then I just want the horse to stop calmly and then they will swing their hind away from me, like terrified that they have to do it. I'm like, chill. And then it's so much harder to retrain this behavior that was heavily, like, sorry, heavily reinforced before using negative reinforcement. Wow. Because so these type of trainers, they always teach the horse that respect is moving your hind away from me. But then in other approaches, you always teach the horse to like, you know, stand straight and they don't have to be facing you. Like if you're on their um, left side and you're walking them and you stop, you want them to just stop there. That seems more practical. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, they just think, you know, because if you walk behind the horse, you might get kicked. So hide away from me, please. (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah, I see. I would not have. That's I don't. I don't think that's the real reasoning behind no, it. No, I was but... just making a joke. <laughs> but it's like some sort of respect thing going on. So it's almost more more of an accident when people stumble into positive reinforcement. Then, or it's it's either uh, they have a horse that so some horses won't have it. Like they'd be good with the this trainer. And then they go back home or with their owner and everything would come back. Like they will not shut down. They will not give up to the point of shutting down. So this will like work for like temporary, like it's going to be a band-aid and then things will start showing up again. So this is one case. And the other is usually when um, like they tried it briefly because they were working with a trainer that uses some of these approaches or if it's an owner that just bought a horse that was already trained that way. But that's a very, um, it can be a quick fix. So of course, people are going to resort to that more than they would do positive reinforcement. 
Yes, the natural horsemanship we're talking about now. Yes, right? yes. What? So you're one. You're okay, speechless. I'm just, yeah, I'm. Spe- I'm just. I'm thinking. I thought the dog world had a long way to go, and no, I'm thinking we the- do. <laughs> and I don't know if that just. But let me tell you one thing as well. With dogs, your expectations is a bit different than with horses. So. I hope I'm not like offending the dog world or anything. I'm not that experienced, but hear me out. So I think like with dogs, you just want it to be happy and convenient. You want to be able to take your dog out. You want people to come to your house peacefully. Like these are the behaviors you're dealing with, like being reactive or having a fear of a certain thing or struggling to walk them. Like it's not like when... People want to compete. They want to ride their horse and go compete at high levels. Well, there's the dog sport world, which is... Yeah. I'm looking more at like the dogs uh, community here because I don't think we have a lot of, you know, competitions and stuff for them. Uh, They might be. I'm not sure. (laughs) It's, It's not my field. But you can see the difference of riding the animal and expecting it to perform in competitions and carry on their back and meet all your expectations and you're not going to spend like a year working with positive reinforcement and wait to compete people just you know they want to ride they get a horse they want to ride yeah not just competing but riding in general like i'm happy to like my mare, she doesn't do well in our weather, so I give her the entire summer off. I'm happy you can chill, be a horse. But some people would be like, no, I have a horse. I want to enjoy my horse. It's becoming hard for me in general because I, people have asked me, like, you know, like if Rusty, heaven forbid, if he ever dies, will you have another dog? And I am inclined right now to say no uh, from the perspective of that when I'm thinking about it I'm thinking about the whole ethics behind for example breeding dogs it's like we decide that a dog gets bred we decide which dogs we put together like we decide everything and we take the pup away from the mom we decide that it goes to live with us and we decide when it eats walks does whatever so I almost feel like okay I it's like I'm creating a dog with Stockholm syndrome. I'm, I'm exaggerating, but f- from an ethics point of view, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to have this kind of control over another sentient living being. And so when I take that, that type of thinking, I've lately, I've been just doing a lot of thinking on that. Like, okay, so we use horses to you know like like back in the day already we use them to to move from place to place we use them to get from a to b faster but but the operative word being we used them and yes and so much of it now is whether people accept it or not it's an ego thing yes like and so there is this one thing I always tell people, and it pisses a lot of people off. <laughs> Try so us. I always, <laughs> no, so I always uh, say, ask 
um, like an equestrian or a horse person or whatever, if you really want to know if their horse comes first or the sport comes first, they always say, ask them, do they love the sport or the horse? Now, people who love the horse will most probably just say the horse. But people who love the sport will say both. Okay. If they say both, the second question comes up to confirm how much they, you know, love the horse. I would always ask, okay, if you have one horse and you can only have one horse at a time and this horse cannot achieve the level you want. Like say you want to jump 130 and your horse can just jump a meter. Will you still keep this horse or would you get another? You can only keep one horse. Most answers I get would be like, oh, I find them a good home or I'll send them for retirement or, you know, like they like it's a good answer in terms of what's best for the horse. For the horse, yeah, putting the well-being of the horse first. Yes, but I... Like if my horse cannot compete and I can only have one horse, I'm doing what the horse is capable of doing. I'm not competing. Like I'm not going to give up on a horse just to get another one that can do what I want. And then once that horse cannot do what I want anymore, just give it away or whatever. Like I'm not talking old age or um, like a horse that really needs retirement or whatever. I'm talking everything is fine. They just cannot achieve your goals for you. It's two completely different ways of looking at things. I I don't necessarily want to say that the one way, because it's my way, (laughs) is the better way. It's just, I think, yeah, the question underneath it all is, are we entitled? What do they prioritize? Yeah, what do they prioritize? Like in this question... They prioritize the sport over the horse. But then if you really prioritize the horse, horse, yes. Even though they're doing everything for the horse, they're treating it amazing. They're doing everything necessary to keep the horse healthy and happy. But there is this point where if you can't achieve what I want, I need to replace you. Okay, this is uh, like if I were listening to Top Gear, I don't know if you know that show, that it would be like, and on this bombshell, we end this episode. Sort of that's how it, how it would end up episode. Not that I want to end this episode, but I'm like, this is a bombshell. Um, like it is hard to hear. I'm most like people don't accept it, but I always use this example. <laughs> and it's I always a good one people. and it triggers some deeper thinking, right? And I also tell people, you don't have to answer me. Just answer it between you and yourself. Yeah, and then draw your conclusion. I guess there's no right or wrong, but it's just where you just know what's your, yes. What's your truth? I wanted to ask you a whole lot more um, things. I also wanted to ask you about your dogs because you do have dogs. So I do have dogs. um, Maybe throw that in right before I go and ask you, like, to comment on the three words that are always the same because we had a brief chat about your dogs beforehand and i thought it was super interesting um because you have three and people just breathe they don't live with you in your home <laughs> judgment 
<laughs> they live at the stables. So they're the herd protectors. <laughs> do, what, so what do they do at the stables? Do they just get to be them? They free roam. Yeah, they free roam. They When we go on hacks out in the desert and stuff, they can decide if they want to join us or not. Sometimes they would join us halfway and go back and let us continue on our own. Um, like Especially if the weather was not so nice, they would be like, hmm, I'm done and go back to the stables. Uh, but we do have like the option of, like because we have AC stables, so we have their beds and stuff inside the barn so whenever they like in the afternoon they'd be if if the weather is like too hot we force them to stay inside for their own good <laughs> but otherwise they're free to go in and out but like you know when it's really hot and they're just like sunbathing I'm like no this is too hot <laughs> so in the afternoon in the heat hours they stay inside when the horses are also inside but the rest of the time they're just free roaming do they roam a lot like how often would i imagine that they're you know like out and about and doing their thing and how often would i just see them sunbathing (laughs) no they're chilling a lot they're not super active because they're constantly moving um but then if someone like one of our clients would bring their dogs or something then they'll get hyper and start playing with the dogs and stuff or like if we go on a hack they'll start you know running around and playing uh but most of the time they're just chill or sometimes they tell off horses if the horses are fighting they'll go break the fight like they'll go bark at them like don't fight really wow yeah yeah i think this is amazing and i told you before we started recording that um I don't know that there is going to be a lot of judgment, but if so, then people, you know, that's what you get to do. Everybody gets to judge. Yeah, it like get if to- I had, uh, if I could, I, of course I would want them to be with me in the house and be with me all the time and stuff. Uh, but like, if I wanted dogs, that's the only option I could have. And I made sure I adopted them. Like I didn't go buy them. So they came from a shelter, two of them, and then they adopted a dog a puppy and she just stayed with us they the so, dogs yeah. adopted the puppy so to say yes so someone dumped the puppy and they brought her in so they went out got her brought her in and be like here and this i find so interesting because we talk so much about giving dogs more agency you know and like more choice in what they have to do because when they're living with us in our homes especially like for me in the netherlands it's really like in the home we take so much of their choice away and I find it interesting that you were kind of worried about like people judging that type of situation. Whereas I'm thinking, yeah. isn't that the life for a dog where they get to decide now I want to roam. Now I want to chill. Now I want to come on yeah. a hike with the horses. Uh, and I'm giving myself the job of breaking up the, the horse fight. The horse I, I almost think yeah. that that's, that is the life. Yeah. So to say, I sometimes apologize to Rusty. I I, I told you that as well. I worry. I tell him, I'm sorry, dude, that you're in this place where, you know, you have to live by my schedule and that you can't be with horses or decide for yourself yeah. where you want to go. So I, I find it, I, I just wanted to have that, have it mentioned and have people think about it maybe a little bit about 
there are other ways, you know, like it's not just one way. Um, yeah, to me, as long as they're healthy and happy, that's all that matters to me. Like if I ever felt that this is um, costing them their health or whatever, then I would be selfless and consider, you know, someone adopting them or someone who can give them life of staying indoors and in a house and stuff. But so far, they're like, yeah, I've had them for now almost. So the first two, it's going to be three years now. And the little one, almost a year. She's the one they adopted. <laughs> yeah, the one they adopted. Have you taught them things using positive reinforcement training? So, um, just or are the they self-taught usual, mainly? <laughs> the usual: sit, lay down, stay, leave it, handshake. I oh. need leave it a lot because they do bring trash. So leave it, okay. <laughs> leave it, reward. I have like my rabbits can do tricks, my goats can do tricks. <laughs> so yeah, I loved was the reinforcement. I'm like it works on all species for a reason. <laughs> Do you know what? It works on people too. It's crazy. Yes, <laughs> it does. <laughs> All right. Now, really on that bombshell, um, let's go to the three words. And normally I ask people to comment um, on those in relation um, to life with their dogs. I guess it's going to become life with your horses. But if I'm hearing you correctly, it might just we might just change it to in relation to life with all your animals <laughs> and humans yeah. um, and they're always the same expectation frustration and celebration what comes up yeah. for you okay so it can be anything right like whatever they there is no right whatever comes okay so first of all um expectation um like if you tell me this word i straight away think of the new clients so when you when you get a trainer whatever method they're following that's more on the negative reinforcement side they can start straight away with your horse because the horse already doesn't like pressure and they want to get away from pressure so they don't have to teach the horse hey this is called pressure and you get away from it but with positive reinforcement you have to introduce it you have to teach them how to take the rewards from you because it can get dangerous it can get uh, like if a horse is pushy or if you do it the wrong way if you don't have the basics they can bite they can get aggressive they can it can be frustrating for the horse especially if you're learning and they're learning there can be mistakes so especially when I go to people outside the stables because most of our clients they already know or have been to a workshop or have seen me work so they know what to expect from positive reinforcement but from people outside they expect me to go in a round pen and have a whip and do something with the horse and I'm like no we will start in the stable your horse is inside the stable and I'm outside the stable with protected contact and I can see the face of disappointment on so many people because their expectation is like, you're going to come and we're going to work on the behavior or work on this or that. And then they see like, this is so like nothing. Like <laughs> the session was for nothing. But yeah, the expectation always takes me to client's expectation of what the training would look like or what would be able to do with their horses. 
and then with that was already almost frustration like clients frustration as yes. well <laughs> so yeah with frustration it's a mix of both clients and horses so i give one-on-one sessions but i also uh, host workshops and stuff and sometimes like every horse is different you can attend the workshop but go try with your horse and you're lucky enough to have a horse that has food aggression so you have to take it slightly a different approach or something i try as much as possible to cover different situations but it's different when you're there with the horse so people would get frustrated because what they thought is working is not working with their horse and then the horses get frustrated because this person is learning so they will do a lot of mistakes and this horse is learning so they don't know like the owner does a mistake and reinforce at the wrong time the horse is like okay i did this thing now i'll do it again but now i'm not getting a reinforcement so it's frustration on both sides and then they can actually teach the bad habit or unwanted mm-hmm. undesired behavior to the horse and then the owner is frustrated because look my horse doesn't get it so it's frustration from both sides and yeah this is where if you get to that point this is where you usually need one-on-one uh training sessions for both you and your horse i'm thinking just for the one-on-one be- before we go to celebration a lot of dog trainers are doing virtual consultations nowadays. Is that a thing in the horse world already? So I actually, when I started, I just had my miniature horse account on Instagram. And I had clients from abroad. And I would do uh, virtual sessions with them. Uh, I would do a consultation. And then they would like take a video and send it to me. And I send them feedback on the video, like where they did okay where they went wrong or how can they fix this and we go back and forth uh this was before i even started training here uh like physically going and teaching people but yeah i currently don't have uh virtual sessions but the people who attend my workshop they usually get as part of the workshop they get uh three virtual sessions as follow-ups so if they face a certain issue with their horse, they can video that, document it, send it to me, and then I will uh, send them feedback based on that and what they can do to deal with the situation. Okay, cool. Sorry for interrupting. Just back no, over to you okay. and celebrations. <laughs> celebrations. Um, I celebrate daily <laughs> because we celebrate small wins. And this goes a long way. Like, It just keeps you motivated to, like, if I just look at the bigger picture, like, hey, my goal is to go to show jumping, like jump my horse. And we have a horse on our hands that has never jumped in its life, has been abused before or didn't have a decent life or something. You can't just wait for that goal to happen for you to celebrate. I celebrate as much as if I say, whoa, and they stop. I'm like, oh my God, they stopped on my voice command. Amazing, reward, reward, reward. And it just keeps you going. And the horse can also feel it. Like they know when you're excited. And they're like, oh my God, you're excited too. And then they're more likely to offer it again. Because trust me, you can be like in a bad mood and reward your horse and they won't be into it. Like hmm. sometimes I cancel sessions because I'm not in the right mind state. And I feel like this is unfair for the owner and the client. So for the horse and the client 
to like waste one of their sessions just because I'm not in the right mind state. I actually like that a lot. How do you determine whether you just, we're just continuing this episode, who cares? How do you determine whether to cancel a session? Like when is it, you know, bad enough, so to say? And when do you say, okay, I'm going to work through this? Okay, so for example, if I have a session with a horse that, for example, I'm uh, asking for high energy um, exercises or something, like I want the horse to run with me or I'm long reining a horse. So long reining is basically like riding, but from the ground. Uh, this is usually what I use to transition uh, ground stuff to uh, under saddles, so like the voice commands and stuff, because it's the closest thing to riding, but without a rider on top. Um, and then I'm planning to do this with this horse. I want him to trot. I want him to canter or jump or whatever. So high intensity, high energy. And I'm tired, like I'm dead. So I'll be like running like a robot, but zero energy. I can't expect the horse to do that. And then if, for example, I'm, uh, if I'm like in a bad mood or I had a bad day or whatever, and I can't get out of it, and then I'm working with a horse that's constantly nervous or stressed. Sorry, if I'm mad most Hmm. of the time, because I... Positive reinforcement helped me with my anger issues. I would easily get mad at something. Like there's a switch and when it's gone, it's gone. (laughs) So if I'm mad about a situation or I'm pissed at something and then I have a horse that's very sensitive and nervous and was abused, I don't want to go to them with this um, energy. Like I want to go to them while I'm calm and happy and relaxed. I don't want them to sense this off me and then in return affect our session. Do you feel guilty for canceling or do you feel proud for canceling and saying I'm doing best by the horse? I do feel guilty, but then I also try if, for example, within our goals, uh, we have uh, like, I want to teach this horse to trot, canter, whatever, but I also want him to stay. Like I want to teach him stand and just stay there while I go and come back. If that's the case and I'm like low energy, like I'm canceling because it's low energy, I'd rather do the low energy session because I'm already low energy. So let's just practice stopping or staying there. Let's practice walking calmly. Like I would either change the criteria of the session or cancel altogether. And sometimes I'll try to start the session, but if I see that it is actually affecting them, I'll just stop and not count it as a session. Were you always able to do that? Or is this something that you've learned as well, like to to stop or not have a session? Yeah, I, I did learn that along the way. I've seen horses that are more aggressive when I'm mad. Like, because again, I work mainly with, mostly with uh, behavioral issues and stuff. So if I have a horse that's already either aggressive or spooky or, you know, over threshold most of the time, if I'm over threshold, they will also be, uh, like, it won't be easy to calm them down. And I can't expect them to calm down if I'm not calmed down. Uh, So I've noticed it once with a horse that, oh, why is she more aggressive today? Well, 
because I'm pissed already. And this is also frustrating game more because she was doing it yesterday. She's not doing it today. And I'm like on edge, easy to get frustrated. So it's better to just end it. And then there are times where I want this horse to trot on voice command. And then I'm trotting like a sloth. Like I have no energy as if a sloth would trot, but you get the idea. And then I have no energy and the horse is like snoozing. Of course they are because my energy is super low. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank thank you. So this is... um... I told you before recording that we go left, right, and then roundabout, and we come back to certain topics. So that's totally what happened this episode. Um, I loved it. I loved learning a little bit more about horses, about you, about your story. Um, Thank you, but not entirely yet, because, of course, I want people to know, you know, where they can find you, like, both, like, if they want to... What's it called when you put a horse in in your livery? Is that what it's called in your? Oh uh, yeah, boarding. Yeah, when, yeah. Like if you it's want to board your horse or, or yeah, grain with you, or if you just want to look at, you know, your social media stuff, all of that virtually live. Where can people find you? Okay, so I have. Uh, I'm mostly active on Instagram, so it's at uh, jumi.horses for my more training. Um, account like i talk about the work i do my clients horses and like before after their stories and stuff and then i have at tango the miniature which is my miniatures account (laughs) so if you want a dose of cuteness that's where you go will we see him paint um i don't know if i have that in video actually i have to really dig because to be honest since i opened the stables I've been so busy with that. I haven't painted in like over three years we're talking. <laughs> but I'm sure I have something. I'll find it and send it to you if it's not posted somewhere. <laughs> cool. All right. I guess that is it. Um, Jumi, once more, thank you. Thank you for dealing with my like ignorant know nothing about horses questions and for explaining everything so clearly thank you for your time thank you for coming on in short thank you thank you thank you no thank you for having me and you know way more than you think you know because you have the love for animals that's what matters the most that's the lovely note to end on that's i think what joins all of us love for animals You can find all the links that were just mentioned in the show notes, as well as on the website, kaisofanoverbeg.com, where you can just go to podcasts to find info on this episode and all the other ones. Of course, it's also where you find all the information on coaching with me. And a big thank you to everybody who's already left a five-star review for the podcast. Thank you so much. If you also like the podcast, could I maybe ask you to do the same? Just go and like click five stars. Be great. Thank you.